All right. Hey, welcome friends, back to be here. Before we get started, I want to remind you to sign up for the podcast newsletter so you never miss a podcast episode again. This will be sent out once a week. In addition, hope you're okay with this. We will be adding additional information, articles on health, fitness, nutrition, and cycling. Refer to the link in the description to sign up today. Coming up, our more amazing cycling clinics. Visit www.sylviedow.ca. Also in the show notes, the hottest clinic and webinar is about the bike maintenance. What if you could learn more specific skills on how to deal with a bike mechanical while out on a ride? Do you avoid going long distances because you're afraid of experiencing a flat or not knowing what to do and possibly having to phone someone to pick you up? I can totally relate. I used to be that way. I have also found the number one fear is wrapped around taking off the back tire. I will provide easy tips to help eliminate that fear and make it second nature. Here are a couple testimonials from the bike maintenance clinic and webinar. I've been a cyclist for 12, 13 years. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm a man, but I know absolutely very little even about my bike that I have. So it was very enlightening for me. As you can say, it it was really enlightening for me because it's encouraged me that I need to learn more. I got too used to getting into the bike, taking it to the, um, the shop when it's when there's got a puncture. Um, I've just become lazy. I can do it myself. So it was really inspiring to see you walk through. And I'm going I'm to try and I'm gonna go to a cart and all that stuff when I'm going to start trying to learn more about how my bike actually operates. Because that's really important, right, when you're a cyclist to, to understand how it, all, how it all works. So, yeah, thank you for today. It was really, really insightful. Well, it's too easy to pretend that we know, well, that's what a lot of men do, but I mean, honestly, I don't. I mean, I'm, I, I get on and I ride it. I know very little. So you, you've, you've shown me up today. You've embarrassed me into action. That's what you've done. My name is Kelly and I took the bike maintenance course today with Sylvie. And my biggest takeaway was learning how to take off the back wheel. And she made me take it off and put it on, take it off and put it on, take it off and put it on. But now I got it. It's on. Hi, I'm Jenna. I just took the bike maintenance course with Sylvie. Uh, My biggest takeaway is that I feel now that I'm the one that my friends are going to come to when they have flat tires, and that makes me extremely excited. Bye. Isn't it just amazing hearing those testimonials? I love hearing that I've empowered and impacted someone even through a webinar. So here's what I have. Online bike maintenance webinars, and that happens every two weeks. I also have added my four-week cycling skills webinar where you're going to learn how to smooth out your pedal stroke, climb hills, good nutrition, and strength power and strength training. Next, of course, is my local hands-on bike maintenance clinics, plus my learn how to group ride with others four-hour clinic. Now, you can find all the details on my website at sylviedaou.ca for the next available dates. Have an amazing day and enjoy the next episode cycling podcast with your host Sylvie Dow here and Joe Friel and this is segment number two talking about everything that's in his book fast after 50 what I've done is I've been listening to this a couple times I got the book and I'm implementing I'm actually happy to know that I'm actually doing things right but 
there's still a ton of information that I'm taking here that, and that's why I asked Joe to come on the podcast again. We had him on with Jim Rutberg uh, last year, go check it out, where we talked about the ride inside his book about training inside. If you're training on Swift or Ruby or any other platform, make sure you get this so you're doing things right. Um, and, but, Today, we're going to be talking about diet. We're going to be talking like how important the routine of sleep, eat, recover, train, and repeat. Maybe I say like communicate with your family. Should I add that in there? But um, so welcome back, Joe. Super excited to talk about this topic. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah. So um, with regards, so we always like, Last episode, we talked about, um, you know, the senior and aging athlete, what does that mean? And um, so today we're going to talk about more of the routine of things that we need to really start looking at very closely in order to get the results we're looking for. And that's where sleep is important, eating right, recovery training right and <laughs> now that we're 50 doing it all over again and right so joe let's dive into which one do you want to talk about first sleeping yeah sleep is one of my favorite topics so. oh me too actually <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we can start there all right um bottom line is that um what, I, what I've always told athletes I've coached when I started working with them is that we need to get enough sleep. That, that's really the key to their performance because during sleep, it's your body becomes more fit. If you do a hard workout, you're not more fit after that workout is over. You don't walk off the track thinking that's a hard workout, therefore I'm now more fit. It's not that way. When it happens is when you go to sleep that night. While you're sleeping, your body's releasing hormones uh, growth hormones, uh, there's all, all these hormones your body is pumping out in your blood. The purpose of these, of which is to um, rebuild your body because your body is constantly being rebuilt. It's never the same from one day to the next. It's always got these changes that are taking place for the, for the, usually for the positive, for the better. And so um, the way, the way you, what you have to do to, be, to, to take advantage of this you have to have adequate sleep. So when I was coaching somebody, the first place I would start with is asking how much sleep they get every night. Mm. And if the number wasn't a good number, which generally means for most athletes, if it's less than seven hours a night, probably we got room for improvement. Um, mm. that, that's kind of like a, a, a starting point, I would say is seven hours of sleep a night. Most, most athletes don't get nearly that. Most athletes are way below that, more like a neighborhood of six hours a night, uh, five or six even sometimes. Uh, you know, triathletes, for example, they've got to, they've got to uh, get in a workout when they get home from work. And so they go out for a run before supper. So they have supper with their family, like around 6, 6.30 at night, they have supper with the family, spend some time with their kids. Um, by eight o'clock, the kids are in bed and they realize they haven't watched any television today. They want to see the news. So they watch the news. Next thing you know, it's 9 30, 10 o'clock. 
and they realize they haven't checked their email yet today to see what's going on. They got some issues out there that have to be dealt with right away. Check the email. Next thing you know, it's midnight. And so they get to bed finally at midnight and lo and behold, they've got a swim workout the next morning at 5.30. So they get five hours of sleep. They're up the next morning at 5.30. They're in the pool. They're tired, but they get through the workout. They manage to get through the entire day thinking, well, I'll, what I'll do is I'll catch up on Saturday. I'll get, I'll sleep in Saturday. It doesn't work that way. It needs to be happening every night. The, the, the body just doesn't release hormones on Saturday night. It's trying to build, rebuild your body every day. And if you don't give it adequate time to do this, because this, these hormones are released in waves. Uh, it's not like a continuous flow throughout your body throughout the night. It's waves that go on all night long, depending on how your sleep pattern is, is working out. And so what we need to do is you need to make sure we're getting adequate sleep to make sure that the body is, is actually reaping the benefits of the workouts you're doing. So what I ask an athlete is when I start coaching them, what they're, how many hours they sleep a night? The next question is, I don't like the answer I just got. The next question <laughs> is, what do you have in your life? What are you doing? And um, they tell me, and usually get this long list of things that they're, they've got going on in their lives, commitments and so forth. And bottom line is, if they've come to me, I, I know that they've got extremely high goal. They want to qualify for Ironman Kona. They want to be on the podium at, at a national championship. They want to go to world's championships. They want to win a race in their town that they've never even come close to winning before. They've always came to me with these high. I never got the person coming to me who said, I want to be able to walk a 5K. I never got that person <laughs> as, a, as an athlete I was coaching. They always had these extremely high goals. So when I have this conversation with the athlete and they tell me what their sleep hours are, and I don't like the number, then I ask them what do they have in their lives, and then we have a conversation. And I tell mm -hmm. them, if you want to achieve that goal, qualify for Kona, be on the podium, the national championship, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it may be, you can only have three things in your life. Only three things. You can have your family. We're not going to do away with your family. You can have your career. We're not going to quit your job because of this. And you can have training. Nothing else. Nothing else. But the athlete says, well, I would like to join the, the homeowners association in my community where I can be a big help to things they're trying to get accomplished. I would say, great idea. Why don't you wait till after you achieve your goal? Well, I want to, I want to join a nonprofit agency that works with kids. I think that would be a great way to spend my time. I agree. Wait till you achieve your goal. So let's put those things off. They're not bad things. They're good things. Let's put, let's put them aside so you can achieve this goal. Once we've achieved the goal, then we can do more things with your life. But right now, you, you've just told me you want to qualify for Kona. That is not going to be an easy goal to achieve. That's going to take a great deal of dedication and a great deal of sleep. Six hours a night is not going to hack it. You're going to have to be getting more than seven hours of sleep a night. So we've got to increase your time in bed. We've got to do things to help you sleep more soundly. So this is the sort of conversation I have an athlete when we get started. We've got to get you to the point where you're getting adequate sleep so that your body is able to use these hormones to rebuild itself. That's, that's the, the bottom line of the topic. Okay. So then I'm going to give myself, I'm going to use myself as, as a subject. Now okay. I get, I was just checking my watch. <laughs> on average i'm like an average um well okay so i understand like 
I'm looking into sleep. So it's like the REM sleep and the deep sleep and everything. So last night I got five and a half hours sleep because I get up mm. at five. I know <laughs> your eyebrows. Just, ooh, I get up at five because I like to have some quiet time and do things and, and read and journal and think. So, and I typically, so I, I trained last night. I was on my bike until about nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a race, um, about a 50 minute race. And then I cooled down for seven K. So I kind of released all the, and I find doing that helps me sleep better that, it, you know, do you just finish a race and get off your bike and like, you know, everything's still like tight and everything. Um, and so that would have left me around nine fifteen, and sat in the hot tub and then I went and then we went to bed for 10. And so that's kind of, even on an average night, that's kind of the time that I get to bed. And, um, I use this watch, this Fitbit, and it wakes me up when my sleep cycles have gone through. So I found that that has made a huge impact on how I wake up in the morning and my sleep. So it, my sleep has not been disrupted for an alarm. Like I basically, it it triggers when my REM sleep is done and I'm waking up. So it could be like 445, 450, five o'clock, whenever that pattern is. And um, I feel rested, even though it gives me, it gave me a fair to average. Um, and then on the weekends, I, I sleep like eight, nine hours, Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> we, would, we would have a long conversation if I was- I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're like, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so, um, comments <laughs> we have to figure out a way to get you to bed earlier it sounds like and that that's the challenge and I, I and i don't know your lifestyle there's lots of things that we do yeah. in our lives that uh, sometimes we just need to sit back and take a look and say what what can i change how can i how can i how can i do this to so i get more sleep the other side of the coin says that there we're all individuals and some people may be able to get by with less sleep than others. Mm-hmm. I suspect that's the case. Who those people are, I don't know. I can't say you're one of those people. I can't say you're not one of those people. I just don't know anything about you. So I, I can't offer strong, you know, un, un, uh, give you um, a way of thinking <laughs> about this. It's going to solve the problem for you right away because there's a lot more to it than simply saying sleep more. Um, But if I was your coach, we'd be looking at your lifestyle. And is there anything else we can do here to to get you to bed earlier so that this doesn't happen uh, on a regular basis? And if that doesn't improve your your training over the course of six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it may be, then you're probably okay with the lifestyle you had before. And so I'll become less less stringent about it. Yeah. But um, if if I'm coaching you and you're wanting me to get you ready for a gigantic goal, then that's one of the conversations we're going to have. Mm-hmm. And one of the changes I'm going to make in your life is to figure out how to get you in bed for a longer period of time. Yeah, it's, it's a lifestyle I've had for decades. 
of that kind of amount of sleep. And I do recognize like when my body's starting to need more sleep, like I'm pretty on ball. Like I don't draw it out. Like I don't push myself. So, you know, if I feel like I'm getting super fatigued, then, or my throat is starting to get like a, a sore throat coming on, that's usually an indicator that I've stretched it a little bit too much and I need to go to bed earlier and and uh, make up on it. And it's like, I catch colds like really quickly. I don't, no, I so I don't catch colds. I catch that feeling before I get a cold. So I've never had yeah. really a cold. So, well, that's me, but, and, uh, and, and actually I hit top 20 in my race, which I was super proud of. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I, but, um, I digress. So sleep is a huge, ish, um, huge factor. We realize that, um, I know a lot of people who, who run on very little sleep and, um, are fatigued all the time, but the other ones like we were talking about are, um, uh, nutrition. And you mentioned that before. Um, do you monitor that? And is that something that you work closely with your athlete as a, as a coach? Yes. Do you have much on? Yeah. One of, the, one of the things we'll do in the initial conversation, and this is by the way, a screening conference conversation. I want to make sure the athlete is right for me. Right. And, and I'm right for the athlete. That's, that's what we're doing is trying to come to that conclusion. It's not mm -hmm. a foregone conclusion just because the athlete said, Hey, I want you to coach me that I'm going to coach them. Uh, <laughs> I want to make sure we're going to work together well, because I, and I learned that the hard way when I, in the early years of my coaching, it was I took on a couple of clients I should not have taken on and realized later on that we weren't compatible. So I, mm -hmm. I started changing the way I operate. So in the screening conversation, I have an athlete. Uh, we start off with them asking me questions. What, you know, what questions, what do you want to know about me and my coaching that might help you understand uh, who you're getting tied up with here? Hmm. Once they've done that, then I ask questions and I'm going to ask questions, for example, about not only sleep, but also nutrition. What do you eat? What, what more the more common question I ask is what foods do you not eat? What do you, what do you try to avoid um, in your diet? And that tells me a lot about the athlete. Um, I find I don't work very well with athletes who try to avoid like 90% of what the normal population eats. Uh, <laughs> if they're, they're, they're avoiding this long, long list of things they will not eat, um, probably not going to be compatible with me. Um, if, on you the mean other like hand, dislikes or? or um, no, I mean don't uh, eat, just avoid. Oh, like low cow, low this. Whatever I've, it may be. There are some right. things you should avoid. You know, there are things in our in our nutritional diets that are fed to normal people that we probably shouldn't eat. Um, uh, I won't go into details on that kind of stuff, but, but that's, <laughs> oh, that's now what, I'm going to have to ask, like, <laughs> what exactly are you talking about? Okay. Well, just give start, me one, one example. Very basic one would be sugar. Like we get, you know, oh, okay. normal, normal population gets way, way too much sugar in their diet. Right. Okay. So if you're avoiding sugar, that, that's probably a good thing. I get it now. Um, okay. So, and, and there's other stuff like that too, but that's, that's a very common mm -hmm. one that we think about, but most people don't even try. They just you know, consume sugar by the, by the pint. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so that, that's the sort of thing I want to talk about with the athlete is, is what are your, what's your diet like uh, by asking, what do you avoid? 
Uh, I asked them, for example, how often do you work out with other athletes? In some sports, oh. that's really common. Like every day, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're a road cyclist, it's like almost daily that you'll be with other athletes because that's the way road cycling is done. You do it with other athletes. But if you're a runner, uh, you don't run with other athletes in packs and races trying to draft off of each other. You run individually. So if I've got a runner that comes to me and has a high goal and I ask how often do you train with other runners and they tell me every day, I've got a question mark that goes up in my head. Is this athlete lacking in motivation and has to have other people around them to get um, them out the door and training? And, and so I start asking more questions along that line. You know, let's, let's talk about what, what do you do on days when you can't find a training partner? How often do you miss workouts in those situations? And, and so the, the questions I'm asking mm. are all getting at, what are the things that define who this person is? And are we going to be compatible? That's what I'm looking for. And so I go through all these questions. And so by the time I get done, I know if I'm going to coach this athlete or not. Usually, it's almost always, yes, I'm going to coach this athlete. It's like probably 90% of the athletes that have come to me, I've coached because they're not really, um, they're not extremes in these categories that I bring up. Right. Who are extremes are the ones who concern me. For example, if I ask, you, what, what data devices do you have on your bike? Well, I've got a heart rate monitor and a power meter. Uh, how often do you look at the power meter and the heart rate while you're riding? Um, and they tell me, well, I look at it constantly. Well, that, that's, a, that's a red flag for me. They're, they're a little bit overly concerned with, with mm -hmm. numbers. When you get back from the workout, do you look at the data you produced? Do you download it and look at it? And they say, yes, because almost everybody does. And I say, well, how much time do you spend looking at it? And they tell me, well, I spend a half hour looking at it. And I say, well, how, how do you analyze? What do you think about it? What are you looking for? So I start digging into these kinds of things because those people worry me also. They're overly concerned with numbers and uh, that, that can be a problem when trying to coach an athlete um, to perform at a very high level. They've got to be able to understand how they feel. That's the most important thing. Number, um, I, I'm a data person. I love data. I love to analyze data for an athlete, but I'd rather they not get involved in the details that I get involved in because I'm looking for how to you know, improve their performance and their training, et cetera. <laughs> they can look at it. That's great. I would spend more than five, maybe 10 minutes at the most glancing at it, but then forget it and move on. Um, I'll look at it and I'll spend hours going over all your data for the week and I'll get back to you and we'll talk about what we need to be doing to, to, to solve, you know, the, the, the little bump we've run into in your training right now or whatever it may be. So, you know, so it's that kind of stuff. That's, that's what I'm looking for in athletes is, we're going to be compatible. I love it. Yeah. Cause you don't want the over obsessive compulsive person, like, you know, yeah. or I'm going to need to go out and, and kill that segment. Cause somebody else beat me kind of deal. You're like, right. uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, those are great. That's a God, you must have quite the questionnaire, but I love the reverse psychology of the fact of, of getting to know your person because it's so true. Don't just take a client because they've come to you. They're looking for a coach. Like I haven't, I just got an email from someone. I have no idea who they're like, I have kids. I need you to train and do this with and that with, and you can come to my house. And I'm just like, uh, what? <laughs> I'm like, I think we need to have a conversation about what exactly, who are you? And what exactly do you want me to do? And just like, who am I working with? And he's like, yeah, I'll pay you and everything. I'm just like, um, I think we need to set up a meeting. 
you know, yeah. it's like, holy crap, what the hell? Um, and uh, yeah, so let's talk about recovery because that's another big thing. It's, it's you know, it's, I have a couple of clients, well, <laughs> a couple of clients, like, and we went over stuff that, you know, like the whole, not as detailed as you, I like the way you do it, but it's, and it's also the FOMO of like jumping on other rides when you should be recovering and doing something else. Let's talk about recovery because like, man, that can screw up your whole um, performance improvement. Yeah, especially for the older athlete, uh, recovery mm -hmm. is, is more critical than it was when you were 25 years old. Uh -huh. When you were 25 years <laughs> old, half your current age, um, recovery was easy. You didn't mm. have to worry about it. It just took care of itself. What was that? Right. Yeah. It's like... Now, now you're in your fifties and recovery is no longer as easy as it was. Mm. You've got to be more aware of what's going on with your body. Um, and, and of course, recovery uh, varies depending on what the, the, the workout was that preceded the need for recovery. Mm -hmm. If it was a real easy day, you just went for an easy bike ride, for example, recovery is very limited. You, you just, you know, Get something to eat, depending on how long the workout was. Get something to eat, probably with carbohydrate in it, more than likely. Uh, get some fluids back in. Um, sit down, rest for a little while. But you can go about your daily activities pretty much without any problem at all from that point on. And that just takes minutes to, to be able to recover from, from a, such an easy workout. Mm -hmm. If, on the other hand, it was a really hard workout, an interval session, um, then it's going to be a different matter. matter. Now you've got to look at getting things done right as you come in the door from having done this workout. Mm -hmm. That could involve um, getting in fluids, which is one of the first things you should always be doing is making sure you get fluids in right away, quench your thirst, get in carbohydrate, probably high glycemic carbohydrate, which means it will uh, get to the muscles much faster and replenish the, your carbohydrate stores. So that would be uh, sports drinks, bars, um, once you've gotten that initial thing done, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time eating bars and drinking sports drinks. That may be just a little bit. You just walk in the mm -hmm. door and you grab a, a sports drink or a bar and you take it down right away because you just did an extremely hard workout. But now we move on to the next stage, which is satisfying your, your appetite whenever it comes back with foods that are more natural, um, mm -hmm. naturally developed. They're not produced in factories. So things like fruits, vegetables, animal products, making sure you're getting those foods in um, for longer term um, uh, recovery, um, staying off your legs, staying seated. In fact, for extremely hard workouts, you may need to elevate your legs after the workout or even use devices like uh, recovery boots to uh, stimulate um, the return of blood to the, to the heart. Can you, uh, can you talk about those boots? Sure. Um, yeah. they're, they're kind of interesting. They, you know, they, you <laughs> slip them on like, just like described as boots that come up to your waist. Right. And you have one, one individual uh, boot for each leg. And then you, when you turn it on, it, it fills with air like a balloon. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then it begins to, um, move patterns or waves of, oh. of, of air up your legs from the, from the foot up. So it's, it's basically massaging uh, blood back to your heart is what's, what it's trying to accomplish. 
And you can okay. you can set the usually on these devices you can set it for how rapidly it does that, and how much um, how much tension is being placed on the body. You can be have a, your a really high amount of tension being placed on the legs or a low amount, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So those those are pretty good devices for helping you recover. But bear in mind, this is one thing I always have to remind people is bear in mind this does not mean you can go out and do another hard workout tomorrow. <laughs> oh damn! Use, okay. <laughs> Just because That's a good you point. recovery boots. Recovery boots do <laughs> not mean you are recovered. You've still got to go through the whole process, food, fluids, sleep, and you've got to give your body a chance to recover. For the aging athlete, the, the over 50 athlete, that generally means at least two days of, of easy training after the hard day. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the process you go through to get ready. You can add in other things. Uh, Massage therapy is, is probably helpful. There's no, the research isn't real strong on that, but athletes seem to um, experience an improvement psychological, if nothing else, that may be good. Uh, there may be other things you discovered in your diet that really help you to recover, you know, like, like shakes. You make a, you make a protein mm -hmm. shake or something. Great. Yeah. Super. Do it. You know, if you discovered things like that, that's, it's quite all right to do those things, but get the basics right in the order in which you do these things, which is fluids, carbohydrate, especially high glycemic carbohydrate initially as soon as you walk in the door from the hard workout. Then when you're ready to eat a meal, you start eating real food with an emphasis on fruits, vegetables, and animal products. And you get your legs up, you, you, uh, you rest. Uh, you don't go out and do anything else that's stressful right then. Um, you do everything you can to make sure your body is recovered. Yeah, like I was mentioning, I got this gar my Garmin tells me how how long I have to recover after like either a long ride or like an interval session. <laughs> I noticed that popping up on the summary, right? And I was like, what is this? 48 hours, 72 hours? I'm like, but, mm. you know, and it, it was just kind of interesting because it has all my data, like my age and everything. Sure. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. So it said that 72 hours, I can't do it. So I'm like, okay. No, I'm pretty, I relaxed on the recovery. I'm like, okay, we're in recovery. A lot, a lot of athletes could, could use that uh, because a lot of athletes are unwilling to, um, to say, I need to take two days easy before my next hard workout. Um, yeah. You know, it's back to being, you know, it's just going out every day and pushing myself to my limits. There, there are people like that. I know many people like that who believe they Me should too. push themselves to limits every day they go out. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. And that's just not the way it works. It doesn't, it doesn't give you the benefits you're, you're trying to, to get. Yeah, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, and I think I maybe added this, is illness can come from compounding not enough sleep, poor diet, overtraining. Let's talk about that because sadly enough, I have friends who are in that boat where, you know, they just don't slow down and then your body takes over and they give you a nice little disease. I, I personally believe, like maybe you don't believe, but I, I believe that the body has full control and if you don't going to listen to it, it'll definitely slow you down to the point where, you know, maybe you can't even train anymore or be active. Like I know a lot of people, I know enough people who have developed MS 
right? That's a nice little <laughs> thing that it can slow you down. Um, you want to talk on on that, like the you know sure. what can happen when you, bet. you don't listen to your body and you're just abusing it. <laughs> uh, interesting time you bring this up. The timing is really good. I just yesterday I'm, I'm working on. I mentioned to you earlier. I'm working on a big project right now. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I, I needed to do yesterday for this project was to write an article on um, overtraining, mm. uh, pushing pushing beyond the limits. Um, I don't know how many athletes I've coached over the many decades I've been doing this. It's hundreds and hundreds, but I've only in all those times only had one athlete who was really truly overtrained. He was a pro athlete, a pro triathlete. Um, he came to me himself. I, I wasn't coaching him at the time. He came to me and described his problem uh, over a cup of coffee. We just sat down in a restaurant and talked about this. The problem was that um, he wasn't sleeping well at night. And when he got up in the morning, he was already tired to start the day. He had to push himself to get on, to get out the door, to, to train, uh, to ride his bike or whatever it may be. Uh, his, his performance was in decline. He was, his, his times that he could stay on the bike or run or swim where it was were, were decreasing because he just got too tired. And he's telling me all this. And I knew the, knew of the guy. I never met him before, but I knew of him. He was one of the top triathletes in the world. He was, he had been named the USOC triathlete of the year, the year before. Mm. He had won a world cup championship. Uh, he was ranked fourth in the world. Uh, he wow. was a tremendous athlete, but um, he decided he wasn't working hard enough. So he had to push himself harder. And he didn't have a coach. So he just started training every day hard. Whatever he had to do, he had to, he had to work hard every day. And so he asked me, so I said, you know, basically you're describing to me just a classic case of overtraining. And, and you're the only person I've ever seen in my entire coaching career who's overtrained because most athletes can't push themselves that hard. Most athletes reach the level we, which we call overreaching, which is they're just really tired and they have a hard time doing anything. But if they take one, two, maybe three days off, it goes away mm -hmm. and they're fine and ready to go again. When you're overtrained, you can take two, three, four days a week, two weeks off and it doesn't change. Mm -hmm. It's like an illness. It does not go away. You've got to be very cautious of this sort of thing. It's hard to get there because motivation is extremely difficult. But this guy, of course, is a pro athlete. He's making his living off of the sport. And mm -hmm. he decided he had to push himself to, to be able to compete at the high level he had established in the previous couple of years. So I told him, well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take two weeks off. If I coach you, we're just not going to do anything for two weeks. <laughs> and he, of course, he wasn't real happy about that because it was late winter. He's thinking about spring races. And I'm telling him we're, we're not going to race you know, for quite a while, we're going to rebuild your, your aerobic base before you do anything else. And what we're going to do is we're going to just rest. So he took some, and, and after two weeks, then we're going to try an easy workout for a few minutes and see what happens. And so we did that. And, uh, it took, it took several weeks as in months mm -hmm. to get him back. Even he never got back to where he was prior to this episode, but he was able to win a couple of races late that summer. Um, which was very, uh, was a good feeling, but the next year he retired. It was, he just could not get back to where he had been at, you know, at the exceptional level he had been before. And yeah. all because 
he just pushed himself to his limits and would not relent, would not quit. And he had to have somebody from the outside tell him to stop because he was just going to push himself into the ground as deep as he possibly could. So that that's the, the extreme downside of the concept yeah. of overtraining syndrome. Um, most people cannot get to that position because they're unwilling to push themselves through the deep fatigue that this guy was able to do. Right. But you can get to the point where you're extremely tired, which is called overreaching. And that's actually beneficial when you reach overreaching. That means yes. I've been working really hard. Mm -hmm. And what happens after you work really hard and you then follow with rest is the body gets stronger. Yeah. This is when those hormones kick in that we've talked about before uh, during sleep. And you begin to uh, become a stronger athlete. And it's because of the fatigue. If it wasn't for the fatigue, um, you'd never really get any better. You just always stay the same. You've got to stress the body. And the yeah. way the body identifies that stress to you is through fatigue. Yeah, for sure. Now, two things that we haven't kind of talked about is also stress and how stress, like you talk about good stress and you talk about bad stress and how that plays a role. And also we could maybe just talk about immune system, like, sure. you know, building up the immune system, tearing it down by overtraining as well. Um, so let's talk about the good stress and the bad stress. Okay. Or maybe we'll do the immune system and then we'll talk about stress. Okay. Well, the immune system is there to yeah. um, protect your, your body from mm -hmm. invaders, if you will. And, um, uh, so we've had a great deal of experience with this in the last two years of the COVID thing going on that we've got this invader that is trying to um, make us very sick and perhaps even kill us if we've got the right credentials coming mm -hmm. into that situation. So we've got to make sure we're doing things so we don't become overly stressed. So I asked athletes on my blog here back sometime last year if they'd had um, COVID and um, they were over it now, but they were an athlete, please write me a, 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 just a very brief statement of what happened and how you right. felt when you came back. Mm -hmm. Most of them told me it was pretty much the same thing, but there was kind of a wide range of possibilities. Most of them have said that they, they, they were very tired when they started back and they had to be very cautious with getting back into normal training again. And sometimes this took weeks. And some people, they said they never got back to it again. There were people wrote in and said wow. they'd, been, they'd had it a year before and they'd never gotten back to normal training yet. <gasps> so you, you, can't, you can't take these things lightly. Mm -hmm. It's not the sort of thing that you can say, well, you know, it's not going to happen to me uh, for whatever reason. I leave a healthy life or I'm, or I'm 30 years old, whatever it may be. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen to you also. So you've got to do what you can to protect yourself. So we've, we've learned that from COVID. Now we need to learn that in terms of sport also. There are other things out there besides the COVID uh, bug mm -hmm. and variants. There are, you know, there's colds. The common cold is something that mm -hmm. athletes are very um, likely to have happen, especially during the winter months when we're in, inside a lot with other people they're likely to, to, to catch a cold and that's going to impact our training and get us run down and maybe set us up for something else. Maybe that gets followed up by the flu or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. There's, there's more probabilities that come out of this once you start getting weak. Yeah. And so you've got to do things to protect yourself in these situations. 
And the most, the most important thing an athlete can do in the pro, in the, in the, from the perspective of training is to make sure you get ad, recover, rec, adequate recovery post-workout. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. Yeah. The athlete who does not get adequate recovery post-workout is setting themselves up for um, illness. The immune system may not be able to, to fight off the next bug that comes along. And we're exposed to them all day long. It's not mm -hmm. like this happens rarely. It's going on all the time. And your body is always fighting off these, uh, these in invaders. So um, recovery becomes the key issue. We've talked a little bit about recovery already, but the idea is you've got to have time off from, from intense exercise after the workout. So what I have after the hard workout. So what I have athletes do is, especially in aging athletes, I give them really two options for how we're going to set their training plan. One option I describe in the book, Fast After 50, which is a nine-day training cycle. In the nine days training cycle, what you do is you do a hard workout followed by two easy days. One, and one of those easy days could even be a day off. So it's hard workout, two easy days. And you repeat that three times. So that's, that's the nine days, that's the nine day week. And then you repeat that entire week another time. So you wind up with 18 days of every other, of every third day is, is hard and followed by two easy days. And then after that, you take three easy days. So we give our body an even bigger recovery, which totals those three easy days are on top of the two easy days. So that means we now have five easy days back to back at the end of that cycle, that 18 day cycle. That brings us to 21 days. And then we start over again. That's one of the options. The problem with that is it works theoretically, but in real life, people have a hard time doing that because they've got a lifestyle. They've got to go to work. Yeah. Uh, they've got family commitments. They've got all this other stuff in their lives. And it doesn't always work out that you can go out for a two hour run on a, on a Wednesday morning uh, because Wednesday morning, you just can't do that. You've got to be in an office in a meeting at, you know, at six o'clock, at seven o'clock in the morning, something like that. Mm -hmm. So it may not work for a lot of people. If you're retired, it works pretty well. You're not retired, <laughs> yeah. it's tough. The other option though, and this is what most people can handle, is what I call five, two training. So every week you do two hard workouts and you separate those two hard workouts by at least two days, maybe three. So maybe those two hard days are like on Wednesday and Sunday are your two hard days. The other five days are easy. Easy may include a, a day off. So that means you take a day off. So now you have four other days that are gonna be easy workout days. So I call it a five, two training plan but what it does is it always gives you a chance to recover after a hard workout for at least two days. Mm -hmm. And then you get a three day break after the next hard workout, which means if you didn't quite get recovered on the first one, this gives you a greater opportunity to, to be able to, to get back to where you should be before you do another hard workout. So that's a five, two training plan. It's kind of along the lines of if you read any of Steven Seiler's uh, stuff on polarized training, the 80, 20 concept, yeah, yeah. Very, very similar to that. Um, the numbers are actually, if you look at in terms, just in terms of the number of workouts per week, it's like 70, 30 instead of 80, 20, but it's the same idea. You're taking two days hard and five days easy. And I found that works for most people. They're, they're willing to do that because when they come to the hard days, they can actually go hard. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be mediocre hard. It's going to be really hard. So they can push their limits because they know they got two days coming up where they can take it really easy. Right. 
Now that is perfect, Joe, because we'll just segue right into the training um, with that, because that is the last episode. <laughs> Number three is all about the high performance training and intensity and managing the training performance. So I hope everybody got some really good information from this segment all of our listeners i love to know what your takeaways are from sleep eating recovering training repeat and um don't forget to get your book fast after 50. the link will be in the description and also don't forget to get this one the ride inside (laughs) i have to promote the both of them because they're really really good um so with that we're going to um bring this this segment to an end and you are just going to have to wait till next week to hear more about the high intensity and how to put it all together so thanks joe and uh thanks to everybody and now if you want to re- um remember you can join the newsletter so if you happen to miss the episode and you don't want to go onto your platform you'll just simply get an email um the week after on the sunday which showcases all the episodes of the previous week in our newsletter so you can sign up for that and you'll never miss an episode so thanks joe and uh we'll be chatting with you in the next one bye hey friends i hope you thought that was an epic chat about how important the routine is sleep eat recover train and repeat and i know i took some takeaways. I hope you did too. And this is great. Please share this one with your friends because all these factors make such a huge difference when pulled together and really um, emphasized on how you can use them to improve your performance and also your lifestyle, right? So with that, I hope you enjoyed that and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast. Learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.